You are listening to the protagonist of the erotic. Produced by Extra Extra. Each episode is dedicated as an act of love to the libidinal ouvre of a living person. Desired object or location that can be visited in the present day. We discover what it means to define and shape sensuality, framed within the dynamic context of modern urban life. Suggested a hearty dose of psychoactive magic mushrooms, Adam Kleinman roams through the streets of a nocturnal New York. The city that never sleeps is hauntingly silent during the early months of the pandemic. And gazing out of his taxicab window, Adam envisions the ghosts of its past zooming by. Summers of love and hurricanes, long gone poets, activists, clubs, and storefronts are all now part of its enduring urban mythology. High on New Yorkian folklore, we encounter a fantastical vision of the metropolis known as the capital of the world, or perhaps more aptly, the city of dreams. New York is huge, it's bigger than life. I like uh, freedom. This is one of the hardest hit hospitals in one of the hardest hit neighborhoods. The coronavirus pandemic has shut down New York City for more than a month now. 8.6 million residents sheltering at home and an eerie quiet. Jacket on, mask up. Out the door and into the clenching cold of a frigid, wet, silent March night. It's around the witching hour. The streets are empty, and I wait uncomfortably on an unfamiliar corner. A window rolls down, and another mask is revealed. With an odd rising inflection meant to cover for the laziness of not enunciating a full sentence, I ask... For Adam? The driver nods. I get in. Few clients, particularly those with the native English tongue, bother to even try to pronounce drivers' names, which typically come from another tongue. 
Perhaps it's embarrassment, or perhaps it's simply the inability to apply oneself. Then again, it could be hubris. For Adam? More than just simple shorthand, the question echoes and strikes an existential tone. The city, my city, New York, is locked down. Absent the order, I visit my friend, who, like me, hadn't seen a soul for mm, a couple of weeks, save for that of his partner, of course. Absent the order, we stole away to Greenwood Cemetery, all of us, together. six feet away. Such was the logic of our steely black humor. Mark, my friend, wasn't, though. He was just to my side, and he couldn't stop mentioning two things. First, how grave sites demonstrated structure class inequity, even in death. And second, how prison and lockdown might be similar. A bee put in Mark's bonnet after talking to his friend, the lead singer of Napalm Death, who was formerly in prison himself. At the same time, some formerly incarcerated friends were teaching prison workouts due in the cells that are our tenements. That is, another kind of jail. The same class inequity. But that, and the fact that New York is the current global epicenter of a pandemic, is really just background. Mark, his partner, and I had taken a fair share of hallucinogenic mushrooms. Speaking for myself, psilocybin produces two kinds of distortion, one of time and the other disassociative, or more to it, they separate my mind not from my body, but from my ego. As far as my flesh is concerned, it too expands, to be honest, into what can only be called something like um, an appropriation, or maybe yet an apparition of the senses. And with these ghosts, I drift. But my dreams have been battered just as New York City's has. And yet, life goes on. I dreamed for months about my last trip to New York City. I wanted to see the Dave Letterman show. And I wanted to meet the CBS news anchor, Dan Rather. I went to the Letterman show, and I met Dan Rather. The day before, he'd gotten one of those anthrax letters. Come at your own risk, they said, and so I did. A dream is a dream. Some may claim visions here, perhaps in the shape of patterns. I instead close my eyes and dream of an apparatus. An image of two armored angels flanking the top corners of a last judgment by Giotto, in which they peel back the surface of a fresco in an act of meta-painting to reveal a reality beyond the mimetic. And with these ghosts, I drift further. I've had a, I've had strong feelings about cars from an early age. Um, 
because cars substance found in a number of mushroom species at that time only one back in the living in Los Angeles. Um, and car keys also face backwards. So and they have an old I was taking along on a lot of car rides up and down the 405. During those car rides, I'd be in the car seat, taking backwards in the car. Although we have some understanding of the activity of psilocybin brain, is not fully understood really how this activity then. leads to the subjective um, experiences people have while taking psilocybin. Nobody likes hitting. So that was really great. St. Ignatius, or more his system, beckons. What do I see? What do I hear? What do I feel, taste, and smell? Within this theater of self-observation and intoxication, from which I view an apparition of myself within a discreet, alienated world. If there were another life in the cemetery, besides Mark, his partner, and I, of course, You'd only see the three of us walking in the shrill emptiness while considering Mark's rumination on the embarrassment of riches carved and gilded into tombs guarded by lions and other armored angels. Inside myself, though, I can only think of cold storage trucks that hold the recently deceased, quarantined, even in death, as they await somewhere undetermined. This experience, or a shade of it, I will save for you a little later. Right now, though, an odd bird chirps, the air is completely ionized by a recent rain, and we decide to run back to the warmth of Mark's home. We cook up some pasta and throw in way too much spice to just cover up the taste of some more mushrooms. We rest a little, and then, sadly, I'm called upon to leave. Jacket on, mask up, out the door, and into the clenching cold of a frigid, wet, silent March night. Flagging down calves that are so often yellow because they are tantrum insights emblazoned love chariots flying through uh, the linear streets uh, personifying yellow. Uh, so often the personification of love and sensitivity and passion on canvases throughout centuries. Kandinsky uh, said yellow is the color of life, and uh, he apparently had a pretty intimate chat going on with yellow. The shock of being cast out supplies a hot fix of adrenaline. Is my driver anxious too? What is he seeing? Why is he working? Could it be inequity? Maybe boredom? I don't know. Any case, as the strange custom goes, we sit in silence as I settle into a back bench replete with warm, spongy leather without much traction in the seat. I'm sorry, but I can't recall the smell. No, not because of COVID, because of the mask. I pair with the rhythm and heat of my breath caught within. The dry car air, a black Honda Accord with its heating on high blast amplifies the weight of the air. The trip, like the car's gears, clicks higher. The two of us, together yet separated by a thin plastic scrim, ride alone. 
There isn't a single car on the road but ours. The driver is young, maybe in his 20s, and holds the body language of someone nonplussed. One could blame the pandemic, but there is probably so much more. Sublimating whatever it is into his machine, he speeds. The engine revs, its timing is off, or perhaps it's my ears. He's also totally silent. The gears continue to shift and pause under our asses. How is work? I ask. He snaps. How do you think? Got another ride after mine? What do you think? Would you like to make some money? What? Well, you know, the streets are pretty empty, so how about you turn off the app, I give you a hundred bucks, and we just drive. You high? Buh, yeah. Okay, sure, I got you. Brooklyn is the most heavily populated part. Let's take a moment to appreciate the concrete beneath our feet. For the concrete uh, is the skin of the city teacher, the flesh of this cosmopolitan guru, if you will, dispatching its life lessons upon us through its daily imaginations and its history. Lest us remember, we are simultaneously massaging the city teacher, and when we're doing it right, reality. Enjoying our stride, Celebration. our gait, and love. Uh, enjoying our day, Aromas. Uh, we are at times uh, eroticizing the city teacher. New York City is a part of each of us. As we enter the Brooklyn Promenade section of the BQE, the driver drops the hammer. The engine hiccups, and I imagine a squeal as the lights on the skyscrapers just across the river in downtown Manhattan slow, attenuate, and blur. We load up to and fly over the Brooklyn Bridge and into the now-ghost city that is the Isle of my birth. As if with watered eyes, the lights twinkle like little diamonds as we storm the interior of the castle. Perhaps my eyes are actually tearing. Tom Emanuel said something to the effect of never let a crisis go to waste. Like his then-boss's campaign slogan, Rom probably plagiarized this idea from a labor organizer. But our trip is about apparitions, not appropriations. Being from New York, you hear stories. You know, about the ones before you were born. It's a New York thing, or it was. It's kind of like a one-upsmanship. That is to say, it's a way to show off how long you've been here, what you've seen, etc. I guess it's called cred, but it's really just a game. But you know what? It's kind of more than that. You see, no story goes embellished. That's really just the nature of ego. So, you know, it's also kind of like foreplay? Or, you know, maybe it's actually closer to domination. 
Muriel Roisker, a long-since-gone local poet and activist, wrote that the universe is made of stories, not atoms. Stories of joy, stories of struggle, stories about nothing at all. But all stories have two things in common. While they may be told to someone else, they are also told to yourself. And the second thing? Narrative has its own agency, which is generative and auto-erotic. Embellishment breeds heightened embellishment as the teller's ecstasy tries to infect the listener. Not, and then and then and then, a good story, a seductive one, employs many buts and therefores. Not twists, but something more akin to a DJ shifting, like the gears of our car, from one break to the next, yet separated by pulling the rug out and letting the beat drop first. As a species, we can often be at our best when we are at our worst. Perhaps this is the reason why one of the greatest stories of New York is the summer of 1977, the year before I was born. Everything was hot, festering, and steaming. The New York Daily News had run one of its most infamous headlines, Ford to City, Drop Dead, when the president refused to send the nearly bankrupt municipality financial aid. It's a funny thing to think of as we sail through a city of the dead teetering on another brink, but I am a New Yorker after all, and collective memory helps us process the present and the future. We cross another bridge, back into Brooklyn, toward the regions where landlords burn their worthless properties to the ground so as to fraudulently claim the insurance, while the Son of Sam murderer was sending notes to that same New York Daily News. David, as his government name claims, would later claim that his neighbor's barking dog was commanding him to claim the blood of pretty young girls. Or in the words of Griffith, Fuller, and Goddard, all audiences want to see is a girl and a gun. In the letter's words, Hello from the gutters of NYC, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers of NYC, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of NYC and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed in the dried blood of the dead that has settled into the cracks. I'm sorry. I can't share any smells with you as I ride in a city accursed with anosemia. We loop back to Manhattan and head downtown. Then, another New York event shoots through my mind. Call me triggered. 
While studying architecture at Columbia University, our class was headed downtown once before, to the Twin Towers, for a lesson. The date was September 11, 2001, and the course was in the morning. The subject, you ask? Well, why did these buildings stand up? My grandmother, also a native New Yorker, said, What's the big deal? Six million dead in camps, to me the next day. And I thought our cemetery humor was steely. Uh, you never met Shirley. Call it epigenetic PTSD. I read that doctors at NYU are now employing psychedelics to treat such traumas. And while my drive is therapeutic, it's also off-label. New York is marked by many things, two of which flood the financial district we now speed through as its sole clientele. Far removed from the gentlemanly handshakes or taps on the shoulder that sealed a bargain 200 years ago. Call me triggered once, twice more. The first event was Occupy Wall Street and the second, Hurricane Sandy. Proximal to each other, I missed them both. Stories should be told by those who live them, they say. However, when I hear these stories, I get jealous. Who are they to have this relation? Are they more New York than I? Like a jilted lover, I wondered, has the city cheated on me? Like a hapless father, it feels as if I have let my family down. In the aftermath of 9-11, Colston Whitehead wrote, we see ourselves in the city every day when we walk down the sidewalk and catch our reflections in store windows, seek ourselves in the city each time we reminisce about what was there 5, 10, 40 years ago, because all our old places are proof that we were here. But I wasn't there. They're just one of many, many specters. Perhaps you understand why I recruited the driver. Call him my Charon. Crossing the river again, we rolled down the windows and let the breeze hit us in our teary eyes whose water ran into our masks' coom sweatbands. Head tilted back with the wind, my mind ran through the days. The last poem I'll read this evening is a group. The group is called The Speed of Darkness. On a blistering afternoon in East Harlem in the They're 20th century. short poems, and I'll just Most pause the between poems. The rats run there should out of the be sack, numbers going out from back of me. One, two, three. I'll just, I will pause. The Speed of Darkness. But here's a brown woman. Whoever a despises the clitoris despises the penis. Frankfurters, Frankfurters. Whoever despises the penis despises the cunt. Whoever despises the cunt despises the life of the, the child. Grape one, empty, and the orange Resurrection one, empty. music. I face him in silence. A black boy comes along, looks at the hot dogs, goes on walking. No longer speaking, listening with the whole body, and with every drop of blood overtaken by silence. But this same silence has become speech with the speed of darkness. Unmistakable on each machine. Stillness during war. How can we go reading and make sense? The unmoving spruce. How can they write and believe what they're writing? The young ones across the street. Or you go on pouring grape voices. and orange and orange in the one You are far grape. away. How are we going to believe what we The tree we that trembles. And hear I am the tree that trembles and trembles.
Several folks had been pooling resources from museums, masks, gloves, and the like, and ferrying them off to ICUs teeming with the dead and dying. While PEP was not actually in short supply yet, hospital regulators didn't allow staff to use off-the-shelf items, even if they were both necessary and essential. So others conspired, and I handed off contraband through hospital back doors. On one run, a surgeon in full PEP armor met our crew on the sidewalk for a re-up. I sent along some cookies as well, and that extra gift was returned with some intel, which, like Giotto's angels, tore off a veil. In the early days of the pandemic, no one really knew who Covey was. They were mostly going by the name Corona. We were told to wash our hands but not wear masks. The surgeon, mask and shield on, said, This is an airborne disease. Covey is in your nose, but the next thing the doctor said made me sneeze. Covey wasn't being declared airborne because the bureaucracy would have had to take on a different set of practices and liabilities so as to cover for the airborne spread to other patients, doctors, nurses, and staff. So much for care. Doc wasn't the only one fully clad. Grocery stores had turned to ad hoc defense measures, the cording off of all spaces and interfaces with taped up transparent plastic as if someone was going to get whacked in a Brit mob flick. To buy an apple, you had to first walk through an abandoned town, enter a decontamination facility, and walk back out through the exclusion zone, to then decontaminate again in the sink or the shower. The only other activity was found on the running track, where the cherries were blossoming against panting throngs. Other nonsenses were being circulated by the newspapers. That runners' heavy breaths made them super-spreaders, and this led to a harsh change in overt public opinion about them. I read this study that made that claim. It was a fishing for funding proposal by two European engineers with no medical training who said that the proposal carries no epidemiological weight. In any case, it spread like their fictive joggers. Could it be the prejudice that the epidemically more bund have against runners that let this cockamamie theory spread with the wings of Icarus? Now strike prejudice for jealousy and swap runners for unrequited lovers. All of these opposing forces would only be accelerated a few months later by the first nights of the new uprising when I rode not in a car but on my bike between total stillness, fire, total stillness, and flame. I wasn't with Mark then, but another friend. He looted some Y3 flip-flops, and then at another spot he asked someone why they broke into a GNC vitamin shop. They said, even bodybuilders need to eat. So much for bread, give me roses. So much for reality, give me mushrooms. So much for inequity, give us communion. As a species, we're often at our best when we were at our worst. Set in another way, joined pain or enmeshed, entwined like lovers, riddled by the past yet full of anticipation. It's kind of like having the fresco peeled back or having the rug pulled out from under you by a DJ. And in those heavy fractures, as the beat drops, aspiration stalls, all even your respiration. Now please close your eyes and take my hand. Now hold your own breath for the next few lines as I paint you an image through your ears. Imagine one great audience spying the same single soul, that of a solo dancer who, after finishing an intense routine, freezes stiff because the choreography orders a long pause. Now breathe in again, and this time a little deeper, and try to smell the beads of sweat that drip down the dancer's bulging throat. 
Can you taste their salt as they cascade across a tired, trembling body, trying to hold its heart so as to not break the silence until that first brave clap lets forth a torrent of other hands? joining Extra Extra on this listening experience. It's been a pleasure to have welcomed you on a journey through this episode of The Protagonist of the Erotic. Please visit us at extraextramagazine.com where you can hear more about our auditory program and discover further editorial content exploring the intertwinement of sensuality and the city.